are currently working on developing the podcast for a bigger and better season two. But in the meantime, we're having some short chats with people from the industry about how they're coping with these pandemic times. In this bonus episode, we sat down with Emma Jane Park, also known as the Culture Mongrel, to discuss finding ways to reconnect with our bodies, increasing transparency and demystifying elements of the industry, as well as re-evaluating being an artist with balancing the multifaceted roles that come along with it. It was such a great chat that we hardly had time to plug her specific projects, so we'd like to let you know about her project Daily Dancing, where every weekday morning at 10 people connect and just dance for 10 minutes. And as well, there are no stupid questions, which is a blog series answering those things about the industry that we never quite understood. They make for a great read and you can submit your own questions to be answered as well. Visit culturedmongirl.org to find out more. Just to let you know, due to the COVID-19 global pandemic, Emma and I connected digitally, so please forgive any brief moments while we wait for the internet to catch up. Enjoy. Hi, Emma. Hello. Nice to have you here. Um, thanks for having me. It's really nice to see you. Yeah, in some ways. I mean, we are over Zoom in a way, and it's just lovely to connect in some ways and have a chat. Um, it's, it's, we have talked a long way about having you coming to our podcast. And obviously with these kind of bonus things, we just want to talk about, what, I guess, what everyone is talking about these days. Um, yeah, how are you doing as an artist? Um, how are you coping um, in general? How are you in these times? Um, who knows? And I think the answer often depends on what time of the day you would ask me. If I'm going to be really honest, it really fluctuates. And I think it's really interesting to wonder who I am as an artist, because I think for me throughout this past year, that has been the bit that's been squeezed the most or most easily forgotten. Because I do, I do little bits of advocacy and this year quite a lot of advocacy. So um, I'm finding myself at a computer kind of typing like Kermit the Frog, doing loads of things and getting to the end of the day and then being like, hang on a minute, wait what what else am I doing to feed that part of me so it's quite a great time for this conversation because I really started this year carrying that in a really visible way for myself and wanting to to focus on that and remember that I'm an artist and it's okay to prioritize that I mean that sounds great because you have so many skills within cultural mongrel as as your artistic practice and it almost feels like that what you talked about is like weighing the different scales of what you do and one becomes more visible one time right yeah absolutely and I think for me there's always been a struggle where I've thought that I should try and do one thing but actually all of the things feed each other really well and that's why I've got to do that weighing up because if I end up going too far down one road I'm not being nourished by the other things. So I end up doing that quite poorly. Like I think I can only be an advocate because I'm an artist mm -hmm. and inhabit those spaces. So I'm currently trying to carve those spaces out in really tiny ways and also in bigger ways. Um, but a lot of it's about shifting brain space. I think it's a really complicated thing to go from the brain and the like 2D version of yourself at a computer that's all facing forward to into another space where you're you're 3D and the world is 3D. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, it kind of feels like, as you're saying, with all of these roles that we inhabit and how we have to change them and how we have some way, not change them, but modified them during this time. Um, it is still about like, okay, so that's the 3D perspective of me as an artist. I, I inhabit all of these stuff, but how do I actually, within this, as you say, 2D world, also like attach myself emotionally to that? How do I still feel this space and what I can do, maybe, yeah? Yeah, definitely. And I think there's also like, I'm sure people have spoken about this lots and I've seen it. Um, there's also the grief and the, the trauma of the world right now and the notion that I'm assuming for you as well, um, a lot of my whole practice stems from the body and like that really brilliant thing your body does where it can displace you slightly from yourself to enable you to get through tricky stuff having to find a way back into my skin in order to find that practice. Cause I've, I've been trying things and doing things to brilliant Feldenkrais. I never pronounced that correctly, of course. You'd be like, I'm going to be in my body. And some days I was just like, I'm just here making these shapes. And I'm, I feel like I'm watching myself do it because I, I don't feel safe enough to get back in my skin and really feel the world around me. And I, I'm trying to find at the minute poetry is, something that I've always flitted in and out of, but I'm really finding time for things like poetry and hearing people read their own work right now. Cause somehow like I can feel myself getting goosebumps with it. And that reminds me I'm in my skin. And I think that it's a really simple thing, but it's feeling really useful right now, actually, to just be like, oh yeah, I can feel things. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like attending back to the physical experience. And I guess that seems like some kind of like ritual you found there, because I'm also still like struggling with how do I find these kind of rituals that can bring me some kind of excitement or that centered feeling about what we're doing now, because it has been a year almost. And it seems like that's something that you feel like you, I guess you ventured into more. Uh, do you care to explain more about the poetry and people? I mean, I love references. Yeah, um, so I think there's a real thing of, because I spent most of last year at a computer and didn't invest so much in my physical practice, I really had to think about over Christmas and I was just like, what will get me in my skin? And so I have um, shelves and shelves and shelves of different books that I've always dipped in and out of and don't always read. Um, so I've tried to spend some time a day just picking up one of those and grabbing it and the stuff that I think is quite reliable so I love Mary Oliver's work I would say that's quite a well-known poet and just being able to tap in there but other things like um, music lyrics just finding lyrics of songs that maybe I don't really know the song so much but I want to look back at it because I know it's emotive for people and just actually taking the words in and letting myself feel and then there's another artist who makes blackout poems called Austin Cleon who I've loved for years because it yeah super short work super short and so also a way of going I'm not sure my brain can handle anything but it can handle those three lines and I was reading one of his books I've read it before but I read it again in December and he reminded me that he has like a digital desk and a manual desk and nothing from the manual, anything from the manual desk can come to the digital desk, but things can't go the other way. And I've been working a bit like that with the space that I'm working in now, where I now have a manual space where I can do it. I can read a book. I can paint a thing, but I can't take my phone, can't take my computer. Um, and it's massive. Like it's massive. I think there's something about that trust. It feels like a big cushion. 
to be in a space where you're like nothing can get in here that takes me out of my body I mean, that's amazing. Actually, with Austin, I look at my book right there. I have two of them. It's it's amazing. It was a long time ago, actually. I did read them, but I remember this thing that he distinguished, specifically talked about that kind of difference that you have to make for yourself, or not difference, but barriers in order to like, with the barriers to help that with your practice. And especially when he talked about the tangible stuff, I went like, yes, this is what we need in a digital world. We need to find a way to tangibly work with it and then how to transfer that into the, the yeah, I mean, physically transferring into digitally, right? Yeah. And I'm just feeling now I need to reread it to kind of get some inspiration because I love like the small short snippets. It's, it's an easy read in a not easy read way. Um, it's structurally good to take it in, but not massively heavy to just pick up a page and go like, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, right? like, that's something I've been asking myself a lot lately is how do I recognize my own capacity and find a way to fuel myself where the, the maybe little bit of energy I have is invested in the thing I want to do? Because yes, you can spend forever scrolling online to find the right thing to read or looking through a very academic text, but then my energy is spent translating that. So I actually know what's happening. Instead of going, if I pick up Austin Cleon, I don't have to do any of that work. And so I'm fully invested in what I came for. Um, and I think it adds to that. That's the other one for me that makes what we do complicated is a lot of my creative nourishment comes from being in space with other bodies. And the only option we have to do that currently is through a digital space, or I do anyway, because I live rurally as well. And so I've been trying to reframe what those, what those digital spaces are and how, I know lots of people have been working on how we use a digital medium, but trying to create ways. So since March 23rd last year, there's a community of people dance for 10 minutes every morning at 10 a.m., five days a week. And it's great because once you press play, you can go into your manual space and I'm literally like in a club and it's it's really private but with others, even though that the laptop is there as a vehicle or I've been trying and failing, I would say. And I think they'd be okay with that with a friend who's a musician to do some improv where actually they're on the phone. So they can see me because it's just through like FaceTime, but I can just hear them. And I can turn my screen off and and have that kind of response. And I think I think there are ways we can try and share space that remind us that we're used to being physical bodies. And I'm not there yet, but I have loads of I'm curious and excited about finding them. Um, because also, if I don't, I think when I get back in a space with people, I'm just going to burst. I've warned everyone that the first four weeks of whatever process eventually end and I'll just be like snotty tears every day because I just what my body won't be able to cope I'll just be like ah! yeah that's how I'll be I mean I think that's amazing I guess you're speaking about the daily dances that you've been working with with the culture mongrel right and I feel like that's such a way such a nice way to I mean a simple way try to investigate not saying that we have the answer for this is how we can connect over digital places and digital um gatherings but it's like an offer to say we're investigating this we're putting in some we're giving you some content and we're trying to find a space where the, the effort is on trying and offering rather than saying we know everything on how we can connect in these times right 
yeah and what what kind of space you're looking to create and I, I think we've spoken about this before I'm obsessed with with what the reference point is for the space that you're trying to make and I think of the brilliant Christine Devani and I had a chat the other week where Chris said to me like what what is it to just commit to dancing and it made me think yeah what what why am I doing it why do I want to dance like besides a job or work what am I turning up for and I think of clubbing a lot that's actually where I maintained my sanity is about being able to go somewhere and not even drink but just be in a sweaty place where you can disappear into a group of bodies and that's what daily dancing is based on it's the notion that it's no pressure you turn up you do whatever you get sweaty you go and I think I've maybe lost my way a little bit actually as an artist with tapping into what the spaces I need to connect with my body because it gets confused with work so I'm now in what is hopefully going to remain an exciting place where to ask myself why I'm turning up to dance and my relationship with dance out with that public facing practice in the knowledge that if that is really fulfilled and nourished and all of those big words that it obviously will improve whatever my practice is but you can't it's a bit like trying to date someone publicly all the time like it's never you're not going to be able to live your relationship in public all the time you need that those private moments and I think that's what I'm searching for now is like what is my private moment with dance actually and how do I trust it again Feels yeah deep. yeah I, I almost it, it is that thing of like okay as I guess Austin also says don't get your don't hesitate to get your work out there don't hesitate to show the process but also at the same time find that core of you because if you're constantly putting it out there just putting out for, there for for the putting out of their sake instead of like going this is my core this is me reconnecting with me. And when you're talking about spaces that we need for us and dancing, I've also always also said dancing in the bedroom, disco dancing in the bedroom for me is such an unappreciated or like undervalued aspect. I mean, clubbing goes for some, some people don't like clubbing as much. Some people like to dance in the bedroom. So I, I for sure feel like that's like a connection we can make. Yeah. It feels, it feels important. It feels important to have time to do that. And I, I've been thinking a lot about what it means in terms of, of values and, and this urge to produce content is the other one for me where I've, it's really, the past year has really made me realize that somewhere in me that isn't a natural part of me, there's an urge to produce content. And I'm really curious about where I've inherited that from and and what that is. And I think there's obvious answers to that, but I think there are much more nuanced answers as well and actually much more complicated, naughty answers. Um, because I, I'm not really like that as, as a person. And so therefore I, I feel like I'm jarring myself. If I try and live up to that urge, I'm not pleased with who I am on a values level which then takes you out of your body, which means you're disconnected, which means there's no way into the practice of being who you are, if that tracks as a pathway. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. I get what you mean. I feel like in some ways that is like one of the big conundrums, I guess, of being an artist in the 21st century, and especially during this time. I've been questioning a lot about um, how Corona and COVID-19 has affected and maybe also put light on how we are working with art now 
and the impact social media or the digital medium has on our working situation. I read an article the other day um, from Springback Magazine talking about actually that in some ways it kind of shows a light on, look at my Instagram, it's really cool, right? This is the, the best sides of being an artist in a way, or like, you know, you put your content out there and people understand just a very small part of it. And I feel like from listening to you and seeing your work and your website and all of this, I, what I value really much in your work is the, the emphasis on transparency and kind of demystifying um, the, like the artist's life itself. Um, would you care to explain more how you ventured into this um, road? Um, yeah, and I think, I think it comes from a genuine place. So someone asked me the other day to identify my practice and I was like, that is the, the question that scares me the most in the world. And I waffled on for ages and then said something about um, the way I clean out a cupboard is actually my practice. Like I just pull everything out. I make an absolute riot of chaos on the floor. And then I spend a lot of time organizing and imagining how it all fits back in. And then I put it in and bits of it fit and bits don't and I have to redo it, but eventually it gets there. And there's something about that that I've, I feel like I've never had the opportunity to do in the art sector because I'm the first generation in my family to work in the industry, as well as being from a working class family where the narrative that you're taught, and I'm only just unpicking this myself, is that you have to be very confident and certain in what you're doing. So this notion of a practice where I can talk about failure and not knowing and making a mess, I think I've spent 10 years showing people the really clean cupboard and not showing them the mess on the floor. And I think there's loads of, that's a huge cultural conversation. Um, but I think part of it that annoys me is that the way I've made my way into advocacy is because I spent the past 10 years turning up and being like, don't understand what's going on. And I, I struggle with failure as a person and I struggle with feeling stupid. I don't mind not being able to do things, but not knowing how I'm meant to learn how to do them absolutely crushes me. And so I think it all comes from that. And the fact that I think sometimes because we're now an industry, we've lost our point of contact with the common world. And I say, I don't mean like common, I mean like as in commons, not as in common people, whatever that means. Um, and so I'll come home a lot and like my brother's girlfriend looked at the website and just went, can I ask you something? I was like, yeah, she was like, what's theater maker? I was showing my mom your website and none of us could tell her what you mean by theater maker. And I was just like, thank you. And she was really embarrassed, which I was like, don't you be embarrassed. That's me talking jargon, thank you. And so it all stems from that and the realization that I was brought up by a, a dad who particularly was just like, go in and if no one's given you the answer, ask the question, don't feel stupid. And I think there's lots of that in me where I've been bold enough to go into a space and go, don't understand. <laughs> um, and realizing that that is, is a character trait and not available to everyone. And recognizing that actually the more we just go, can someone talk about this? Not only does it let us share the information, it also creates a mark in time because most of the advocacy conversations I'm in right now, there's lots of hearsay about what things were 10 and 20 years ago, but there's very little case study available so unless you have someone to speak to, you'll never know. And then we end up reinventing the wheel a lot where people will go, well, wouldn't this be great? And then everyone's like, that's what it was like 20 years ago. And I'm only just noticing those things because 
I've been doing it for about 10 years and I was still excited about conversations. And now I find myself being in the same conversations I was in 10 years ago and the eye rolls that I was confused by in those conversations. I'm now having the moment of going, that's why you're rolling your eyes because you've been here before. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's, that's a very broad answer, but essentially I think if we can, not force people to disclose anything they don't want to, but if we can disclose the information about structures and disclose the information about decision-making, people can then be more efficient. Because if you, if you want to work in a patriarchal structure, you are entitled to do so, but I can come along and go, that structure does not serve me on a fundamental level, so I can just choose to not be involved and go elsewhere. Um, and I think that's actually what it's about. It's about giving people fair choice and you only have fair choice if you have information. And for a sector so obsessed with communication, it blows my tiny mind how bad we are at communicating sometimes. Yeah, and I, it, it just feels empowering to, to kind of hear and to see your vision on your thoughts on this general conversation about how we actually work and talk about the arts because it is such a world for in quotations common people to get it wrong what we're doing and I feel like that it's such a nice thing to look forward to now I hope also when we look into the future and after corona that that's something specifically now we can spend time on um, because um, it is a time for change and it's a time to look at what we actually do um, so I hope that's something we can bring into the new normal. So um, with talking about this and your thoughts and visions, is there something specific you would like to, I mean, we've talked about already, but something like a small um, tip or trick or any, like any quote or anything, I don't know, a saying that you want to bring into the future for the, the future after Corona for yourself? Um, yeah, it's a really easy one, rest. Rest is the biggest the biggest tool we have rest and check out the nap ministry and black power naps whose work on rest is like life-changing and I'm not saying that in any other way than very genuinely woof yeah I mean amazing I think that sounds like it I think we should wrap it from there I'm also going to go take a rest after this we have to value our bodies and how we work with them for sure and um, so if people want to follow your work and what you're doing how do people come in contact with you or how do people follow your work um at cultured mongrel so cultured with a d but like the yogurt mongrel m-o-n-g-r-e-l yeah, perfect. And we'll all keep updated to see what your journey is next. And I guess we'll speak soon again, hopefully. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of Head, Shoulders, Knees and Pod. If you enjoy our content, then please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to the show on. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at HSKPod. And you can find more information and donate at hsk-pod.com to keep helping us making the podcast better. This episode was hosted by me, Matilda Bjarum, produced, edited, and social media support by Katie Daniel.